God is good, amen? God is good, amen? Let's go to Matthew 7. And while you're turning there, my wife has this, this uh, wonderful way about getting me into some embarrassing situations, all right? Uh, for instance, uh, on multiple occasions, we will be in town and she will say, hey, look, there's so-and-so. And, and I'll look and I'll see that there's so-and-so and I'll start talking to so-and-so and it's not even so-and-so, all right, for instance. The, uh, not a while back ago, we were up here on, on Pine, Pine Mill right here by the church at that light. I'm in the passenger seat, uh, and this truck pulls up next to us, and Christy goes, look, there's Kevin Shackelford. I was like, oh, so I roll down my window. I'm hollering, hey, Kevin, and he's got his window down, and this guy looks at me, and it is not Kevin. <laughs> but it's not like it happens once, all right? It happens all the time. One time, we're driving through town, and Christy goes, hey, there's Neil, Neil Nutt. And, and he's kind of walking uh, around the this, this store, and I whip around in the car. I'm, I'm hollering out the window, hey, Neil, hey, Neil. And I'm pulling, I'm stopping what I thought was Neil Nutt in, in the middle of the parking lot. And it's this poor kid who thought I was about to kidnap him. <laughs> and I just said, hey, I just wanted to see how your day was going. You, you good? <laughs> But it's all the time. Like, and so if you see me in public at Walmart or somewhere and I don't talk to you, it's because I am doubting my wife of her saying that's who it is. All right. Sometimes we think people are who they actually are not. Let's read what Jesus says in Matthew 7 about this. Verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the me measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So here in this passage, Matthew, or Jesus is dealing something directly, and Matthew records it for us to hear. He is dealing with this thought of judging others. Now when I think of this, this text here, I'm often reminded how often it is quoted that we're not to judge. And I usually hear it in the context a little bit different than what's here. Because I don't want to stray away from that we are called, as he mentions later on, to inspect fruit. To see what people are bearing with their fruit. How, how their attitudes are. And it was in this context of, of really kind of knowing if this person was a false prophet or not. But this thought of judgment, judging others, I really want to unpack today. Because I find myself more than just waving down somebody thinking they are who they are not, but at the core judging them. I find myself judging them, which means to sentence them or to condemn them, just like in a court case. To place blame and condemnation 
And when I start to judge and when I use my voice, when I use my words, when I use my actions, I create in them this feeling that there is no hope for them, that they are doomed, that they are not capable of a relationship with God. And that's the judgment that I want to talk about today. He uses this this picture of measuring. When you measure somebody, you're going to be measured that way. Often used in the marketplaces to measure weights of produce. But in essence, it's determining somebody's value. So when I say the word judge today, what I want you to hear, the definition I want you to hear is when we determine somebody's value by something they have done and condemn them and leave them hopeless. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out when you judge. I think there's some things that take place when we judge that we don't even realize that are happening. Years ago, I'm in McDonald's. Uh, Gavin was little. We had just moved here. And, and we're in the playground, and I'm eating uh, a burger and fries. And I'm sitting there. I have it on the tray with the paper on it, you know. Uh, and, and I questioned that to begin with, to eat off of that. But I'm in this playground, and the, and the table's sticky, so I thought I'll keep it on this tray. I'll keep it on this paper. I'll eat my fries and my sandwich or a burger out off of this. And I get kind of done, and I don't know why I had leftovers. That's not like me. But I grabbed my tray, and I went over to the trash can. And as I'm standing over this trash can, I kind of begin to take this tray, and I dip it in the, the fries. Some of the fries and stuff is still on the tray, and it's not, so I'm just kind of barely, you know, you're doing one of these, kind of like you're saving these three fingers of not getting diseases, all right? And I'm doing, I'm doing one of these right here, and I'm, you know, and in that moment, in that moment I realize how silly, not that I must look, I never realize that, but how silly it is that I have thought that the molecules in this french fry have changed only because I'm standing over this trash can. Because a moment ago, I was just taking those by the handful and stuffing them in my face. But now that I'm by this trash can, now that I'm hovering over this trash can, I'm holding it and I'm barely wanting to even touch the fry. Are you with me? So psychology kicks in. I've decided that This french fry is now gross because I'm by the trash. I define, I measure it differently because what I'm associating it with. I think here Jesus is trying to say, look, wait a second. When you judge, you need to look at what measuring you're using. Because we often measure by our own rule, our own measuring tape. And it gets a little skewed because we allow all these extra influences to adapt and change the way we see something. So when we judge, we don't see clearly somebody because we've associated them with something. But you and I know scripturally 
that when we talk about sin and what people are dealing with and the issues that they have, a sin is a sin is a sin, but emotionally we rank those and we say these are gross sins, but these aren't so bad sins. For instance, gluttony. I can walk up to the fridge late at night and I can open it and I can grab more and more food and sit down and eat it until I pass out. And we're not going to post about that. We're not going to talk negative about those who struggle with gluttony. I can sit there in the last three years I have gained 30 pounds and nobody said anything to me. But, if I was an alcoholic, if I went to that same fridge every single night, opened it up, and grabbed one after another after another until I passed out, I might be speaking about that. I might have an attitude about that. I might judge somebody who's dealing with that. See, you see what I'm talking about here is that, that we don't really use the right measurement because we use our own measurement in our own feelings, and we think some things are okay, but some things aren't. And I think ultimately, it has to do with some fear that we have inside of us. Because the writer here says, if, how can you even talk about somebody's speck when you have a plank in your own eye? See, I think we kind of think of, of being in the kingdom of God and, and being in relationship with God and, and eventually going on to live with God forever and eternity. I think we kind of think of that in a survivor scenario. Like there's only going to be so many that are going to be able to make it. And I've got to prove to everybody around me that I'm a little bit better, a little bit more qualified to keep me on the island. And so I downplay whatever issues I'm doing. And I draw all my attention on whatever they're doing. Because in some way, I'm able to feel a little bit more valuable. And in some ways, I'm able to not have to deal with my own stuff if I'm looking at everybody else's. So he says, do not judge, for you be judged. In the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And the same way you measure others, you will be measured. We're willing to measure others pretty strictly, but he shows through this that we really need to measure ourselves. And so when we judge others, we use our own measuring rule. When we judge others, we, we kind of skirt around the issues that we're dealing with, and we amplify theirs. And we hide ours. But Jesus has a different way. He has a better way. Let's go to John chapter 8. Begins, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, 
where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They are using this question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started right on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw the stone at her. Again he stooped down and rode on the ground. At this those heard and uh, her began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until Jesus was left, with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, he said. She said, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave, leave your life of sin. So in this passage, in this recalling of the story of Jesus in the midst here, he finds himself with people surrounding this woman who is standing there. And as, as she's standing there, they're around her holding these stones in, her, in their hands with their knuckles turning white, ready to take aim in on this woman standing in the middle all alone. I want you for a moment to imagine who might this woman be in your life? Who might this woman be that you have stood in a crowd or stood around some people and you have been ready to take aim in on her? Who might this man be that's standing there ready to to take whatever condemnation is coming at him from you? Who is that? Imagine them in your mind. Could it be somebody that struggles with gluttony or alcoholism? Could it be somebody who who struggles with with what you perceive to be legalism or liberalism? Could it be somebody that you believe is is just kind of a harsh person and hard to be around? Could it be someone who's dealing with some gender issues or, or a woman who's trying to figure out life and what to do as she walks to a clinic? What is it? Who is it? that stands in the middle of the crowd that you find yourself in at times, ready to take aim. Because I think we've got to draw ourselves there for a moment. I think we've got to envision ourselves standing there, holding tightly these stones in our hands, ready to take aim, because I know that we do that at times, figuratively. So who is it? In this passage... Jesus does something different than what we would expect. As everybody is focused in on her, ready to take aim, he steps over and he starts drawing or writing in the sand. It doesn't say what he does, but the moment that he comes over here, all the attention has moved from her and and this area and everything is zoomed in on him. Where we subconsciously and consciously want to zoom our attention in on this woman standing here alone 
he takes all the attention in on himself. And then he starts looking at those around who are holding his stones. And he says, hey, couldn't you be in that, in that circle? Couldn't you be standing there ready for us to take aim? Isn't there something in your life that you're secretly holding on? And if we all knew, we could put you there and we could cast stones at you because he asked them the question. He answers the question that they gave him with another question, and that is, who's without sin? Who's without sin? You, you go ahead. You cast that stone. And in this moment... As Jesus' head is, is down in the sand and he's still writing, he's still drawing, he's still engaged over here, drawing the tension off of her, you can almost hear those stones start to hit the sand. You can almost hear some people taking a breath as they inhale what Jesus just said to them, and they realize, wait a minute, I've got my own stuff to deal with. Thump, thump, thump. The stones all start falling down, beginning with the older ones, then the younger ones. And Jesus says he straightens up. I think that's another phrase of he stands up. She is standing there alone, and in my mind, when I'm reading this, what I gather, after everybody leaves, Jesus stands up with her. Not against her. And he says, go and sin no more. I think it's okay to call people that we love out on their issues. I think I need to be called out on my issues. And that's what he does here. But he does it in such a way that leaves her feeling like there's hope. Hope for her to be able to change. Hope that she's not going to be attacked. She leaves, he leaves her hope. So who's this woman in our lives? And how do we do what Jesus did? Jesus had passion. And I think we can have passion. I think we're called to have passion against things that, that aren't right. And Jesus had passion against things that aren't right. He had so much passion, though. He had so much passion against the sin that you and I carry that he had this great, ultimate compassion. He didn't just leave it with passion against. He left it for, with compassion for someone. Because there's a better way. He leaves her with compassion. So we might be passionate about some things that are wrong in our culture, in our environment, in our house, in our church, and, and, and with our friends. But the question is that I have for you today is are you compassionate with those individuals? Do you leave room for compassion when you see passion against. My dad used to tell a story when I was a kid. Uh, I, I usually loved stories 
that my dad told about me or my sister or our family. But this one wasn't my favorite because it started off with, well, Jared was getting beat up a lot at school. I was a little kid. I don't remember this. I do, I, I remember my dad telling this story multiple times. But I, I didn't really fit in when I was a little kid at this school. And every day I was coming home with some bruises. And so my dad went up to the, the school, and we were in a, in a, in a hard environment, lower-income environment in South Alabama. And there was a lot of kids that were just hurting there. And, and he did something that would be tough for me, and I know this because my son has, has dealt, and my daughters have dealt with, with bullies at times in school. But my dad did something a little bit different, a little bit crafty. He found the kid, which was one of the biggest kids, all right? Her name was, I'm just joking. <laughs> I've just seen if you're awake. He found the, the biggest kid, which happened to be one of the main kids. And he went up to him. And he said, hey, look, I run a grocery store here in town. And I would love for you to just come by any day and have some ice cream. Anytime you want, you come by and you have some ice cream. After that day, my dad said I was never touched again. It'd be easy as a father to say, all right, son, I'm going to teach you how to fight, and you're going to knock this guy on his tail. But my dad said there's another way, and he had passion against me being bullied, against me getting hurt at school, against me being afraid. He had passion against that, but he had compassion for the individual that was inflicting it. There's a better way. And I say that over and over again because that was a quote, one of the last quotes I've ever heard my dad say was, there's a better way. And Jesus in this moment says, there's a better way. I want to draw our attention just real quickly back to the story at the beginning. See, this woman was standing there in the midst of everybody, but she was there for a purpose. She was there with a reason. They were using her as bait. They were using her to get Jesus to show his true feelings, to get Jesus to kind of to say this is what he believes or what he doesn't believe in. And it was a trap to be able to say Jesus is wrong. He is not one of us. He doesn't do what we do. See, this poor woman was here only as bait. And I have to say that I've been here for seven years now. I've been a part of several different conversations. I've heard and seen different articles. I've been recommended to listen to different sermons. All around the thought of our political season. Time out real quick. This is not a political sermon. Don't get confused. Time back in. And this is what I've heard. And this is what I've seen. The same thing that takes place in John 8, I've seen it in our community. I've seen it around here. I've seen it in this church where we've taken someone, some being, 
And we've used them to say that this person or that person is not good. And all the while, this poor woman stands here in the middle of it all, unnamed, generalized. And we throw stones at her because we're out to get them. And I'll have to say, that's left people sitting in these pews today, currently, right now, wondering if there's hope for them. The conversations, the things that we post, the articles that we share, are telling a story to people in here that they don't measure up, that they're not worthy, that they're different. And we have passion against some things, and we need that passion against some things. But in this moment, this woman who stands alone looks up, and the greatest man in history stands with her. And that's what we're called to have. My challenge this morning for us here in this church is twofold. One is to make us think of how we judge others and how we ought to not judge others. But also, it's designed, and my challenge is, is, is hopeful, that people in this pew who have felt like that woman standing in the middle of everybody with stones would know that today... In Lamar Avenue, Church of Christ, that they are accepted, that they are loved, that they will find hope among our people here. Amen? Because that is what we're called to do in the first place. Jesus just didn't ask us to do this. In Matthew 6 and in Matthew 7, on the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about Turning the other cheek. Loving your enemies. If somebody takes your coat, give them, your, your, give them everything. If somebody asks you to walk one mile, walk with them too. He says, don't judge lest you be judged. And in Matthew 26 and 27, Jesus does every single one of those by going to the cross. He is stripped of his clothing. He gives it freely. He is made to walk from Gethsemane to Calvary. He does it freely. He is slapped on the cheek. He turns the other one. They beat him. And it culminates to a point where he looks the people who put him on the cross in the first place in the eyes and says, forgive these people, God. So Jesus didn't ask us to do something that he wasn't willing to do. And so I really want to challenge us to do that and to let it be known that we're not going to let anybody stand alone, no matter what's going on in their life, no matter what our preconceived ideas and notions are regarding what they've done. I want to close with this thought. There's a song, 801. We're We're about to sing it in just a second. Is, is titled, Where No One Stands Alone. And I was thinking of this sermon, and I was thinking of some of the things that my dad had taught me over the years. And he, he was a little bit better of a song leader than I am, meaning he could do it and I can't. 
And this is one of those songs that I still hear his voice when we sing it. And we don't sing it often. And so last week I was thinking about this song and I was thinking, I wonder what, 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 song, what number this is in the songbook. So I grabbed the songbook and I opened it up and it turned right to 8 on 1. Chills just got all over me, all right? Opened it and there it was. And here in a moment we're going to sing this song. But before we do this, I'm going to do something that's kind of on the youth group, youth minister side of things. Because I think what needs to be amplified to those who are in our midst today, wondering if we knew what they know about themselves, if we knew what they had done at one point in their life, if we knew what they were dealing with currently now, would we stand with them? And I'm going to ask you right now, if you will stand with those people who are struggling in sin or who are scared because they've done something in their life, that they're not too sure there's even forgiveness for, I'm asking you, are you going to will, be willing to stand with them? Literally. Lewis, I know you'll stand with me. Stand up, man. Who else will stand with me and Lewis with these people who are hurting today, who are scared? For those who wondered about our church and whether we're willing to stand with you when you have some issues, Look around. I want this from here on out. That our invitation time, we ask everybody to be standing, right? I want that moment when we stand and we sing to be a reminder that the woman who is caught in adultery stands alone, that Jesus stood up with her and went there with her. And as you stand there in the invitation song every Sunday from here on out, that you are proclaiming to those who are in this pews wondering if they're standing alone, you're reminding them that they are not. Because they need to hear that. And we need to exercise that. And for those who have wondered whether or not Others are standing with you. And maybe you've heard some things that you struggle with from others in this congregation. I'm asking you to stand with us as we deal with our judgment too. That you give us some forgiveness, some grace in that moment as well. If you need anything this morning, you come as, you, as we sing and know that we're standing with you. And I'm going to ask that you sing this song as loud as you can.